it actually brings with God. It brings with God. It starts with God. And for you to see that, you need to embrace the reality that sin is ugly. And you have to be willing to look at the ugliness of sin. The sin is so ugly in so many ways. It is ugly because it destroys lives, starting with your own. It is so ugly because it, it destroys you know, the lives of those around you. Sin is so ugly because it destroys the good things in our lives. And you have to be willing to look at the ugliness of your sin. You have to be, to be willing to behold this brokenness. To behold the person that you're not proud of. Look yourself in the eye. Look that. Put yourself there. You know, David prays that prayer. God, search, search my heart, oh Lord. You know, that's David saying, God, help me to see me. You know, I want to see me. Are you willing to actually see how sin makes your heart ugly? How ugly it is, how it breaks God's heart. And I think some, sometimes we don't leave our sinful behaviors because we are unwilling to look at the ugliness of our sin. So therefore, we just glance over it. We just want to have a peek on it, but not really look at the depth of where this takes you, that it's actually not a good place. Godly sin, godly sorrow rather, it does bring you to a place of repentance and leads to salvation. A place where you say, I have looked at the ugliness of my sin and I don't want to be in it. So I want to bring it at the feet of Jesus. I lay it at the feet of Jesus and say no more. This is it. I leave it all at the feet of Jesus. Number two, godly sorrow brings transformation while worldly sorrow builds stuckness. Godly sorrow brings transformation while worldly sorrow builds stuckness. Verse 9, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led, led you to repentance. Transformation comes out of godly sorrow. Because godly sorrow moves you into action. But worldly sorrow will have you get stuck. And what's the action? The action is repentance. The action is repentance. It leads you to repentance. And there are times when we can be so lost in our sin that even if, even if people highlight in front of us how ugly it is, we still are like cool with it. And that was my story for a long time. It was my story. It was before Christ, and then I came to know Jesus, and then I went back, and then I came back. You know? And probably most of you can relate with that. And I remember I was so stuck in this sexual seat for a long time. And even though somebody would bring it to be like, hey, dude, it's gonna, this is going to destroy you. But because you're so stuck in there, you know, I'll feel bad, but not as a way of like, hey, because this breaks God's heart. You know, because somebody else, a friend or somebody I care about, they're pointing it out to me. But it was not going to change anything. I did not never change anything for at least two years for me. There are times you can show people how their sin is destroying their kids' lives. But still they won't change a thing. 
There are times that you can, show people, you can show people how their sin breaks their spouses. But still, they're like, I don't want to do anything about this. There are times that you can show people how their sin wrecks the lives of those they claim they love. But still, they want twitch, they want, they want badge. You can even show them how it's destroying their own life. How it's destroying them as a person. It's like, this is not good for you and you know it. But still, nah. Because worldly sorrow only leads to death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads you into action. It means that you know, repentance is, is an active word that you're actually going to do something about this. You're going to do something about it. Repentance is not passive. Repentance actually means a change of mind. Change of mind. Change of attitude. Change of mind. You know, in Chichia we have a beautiful word that is called tembenuka. You know, that's repentance, tembenuka, which means to turn 180 degrees on the other side, that you go and change your way. So repentance, you, in other words, in repentance you agree with God. You say, God, your ways are better than mine. So I repent of my ways. God, your works are better than mine. So I repent of my works. God, your view of the world is better than mine. So I repent of my view. God, your works are better than mine. So I repent of my works. God, your ways are better than mine. God, your words are better than mine. So I repent of my words. Godly sorrow will bring about change. And the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. But change comes by doing. You know, like you can, you know, faith is going to be built as you're hearing God's word. But for you to experience true change, that means you need to be willing to move in it, to do stuff. That's what repentance is. Repentance invites you to action. And if you want to make life changes, that means you need to be willing to make life changes. You need to be willing to do that. If you want to see a change in your life, you need to be willing to move into the direction of change. Because that's godly sorrow, which brings about repentance and salvation. But worldly sorrow will get you stuck in your sin. Number three, godly sorrow is wrapped in God's love, while worldly sorrow is wrapped in condemnation. It's wrapped in condemnation. Verse 10 again, God's godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow mourns the sin while worldly sorrow condemns the sinner. The reality is that sin wrecks God's heart and God mourns over it. But the one thing that God never does is to, to condemn you. He never condemns you. He never condemns you. This means that God never defines us by our sin. He never does. Tim Keller, who actually just died a week ago, uh, he said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Than we ever dared hope. That you, you're more flawed. Like, you know, you believe you're a sinner, but actually you're more sinful than you believe. Right? But at the same time, you're more loved and accepted by God than you dare hoped that God loves you so much he loves you so much he loves you 
Even though you're a kind of person who sometimes surprise themselves by how sinful they are. Ever done something? I know I have. Ever done something? You're like, who is that person who did that? Like you surprise yourself by your own sinful nature, right? And sometimes we could do that. And in fact, the people that embrace grace to the fullest are the ones that realize their capabilities of how sinful they can become. To be like, hey, I, I could do more harm. I could do more harm. Like those, those people embrace grace fully. That I'm only like this because of God's grace. So God never condemns us, but he accepts us. Godly sorrow is wrapped in love, in God's love. And you know, God's love never pushes you away. It actually draws you in. God's love will never push you away. It actually draws you in. And every single time you mess up and you, you see that you're running away from God, it's not because of God. Actually, you are living in condemnation. You're living in condemnation. But when you mess up, you go to God because God's love will draw in and not push you away. Only condemnation pushes you away. Godly sorrow brings you closer to the one that you love. Number four, worldly sorrow leads to regret while godly sorrow leads to death. Worldly sorrow will lead to death. As verse 10 says, worldly sorrow brings death. It brings death. Now, we know that as human beings, we die because of sin. Our, our father, Adam, sinned, and that the result of that, we humans, we die. So we know that. And this is not just only talking about you know, physical death, which sometimes it does happen, that you can find yourself on a journey of sin, and that literally kills you, like literally kills you. But there are moments like, hey, I've sinned and I'm not dead. It's like, ha ha, I'm not dead. I've sinned. But do not be fooled. You still have experienced death anyway in that moment. Sometimes it's the death of our conscience. The death of our conscience. You know, you've been in that situation where you, you know, said what you shouldn't have said to that person. And you felt bad the first time. And then you did it again. You felt a little bit bad. And then eventually it's like, this is what it is. You know, you have done that wrong thing and you felt bad the first time. You do it again, you do it again. And that consciousness is dead now. That's death. What is so will lead to death. That death can also make you find excuses for your sin. Can make you find excuses for your sin. Every single time somebody points out a sin in your life and you become defensive, it's because you're experiencing death. You're experiencing death because that death will lead you to find excuses. God would understand. I'm only a single man. God would understand. Everybody else is doing it. Why shouldn't I? Why will I feed my family if I cannot make this business deal? I need the money. I need this. I need to pay my renters. God would understand. That's death. For some, that death leads you to shame and leaves you hopeless to ever experience God's love for you. Sometimes that death is, you know, that thing that kind of comes in you that leads to more messes. Like you mess up and you're like, I've already messed up. I might as well, 
just keep on, you know, keep on going. I remember my one used to be like, okay, I'm going to repent of my sin, but do I repent of one or can we add five more so that, you know, maybe we repent of five, six maybe? That's death. That's death because what is all leads to death. We have a Chichawa saying uh, that translates into the dead are no longer afraid of rottenness, you know. Um, that, that just means because, you know, you've been in this situation and you're already rotten, you're like, just keep on going in this. But that's what is all. That's not out of God. That's not out of God. Godly sorrow will lead to joy because that repentance now, it's going to lead to salvation. Your heart is going to be changed and there will be a newness in your life. And that, my friend, is joy. Like on the path to sin, always you're guaranteed they're going to be regret. Always. 100%. There's 100% regret. 100%. But God's way, there's joy. 100% joy. 100% joy. And you know this, you know what it feels like when you mess up, but you also know what it feels like when you are embracing growth in your life and living as God wants you to live. You know what that feels like. Now, if I continue, let me just say this. It's not the sorrow that fixes you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the sorrow is what will fix you. No, it is God who will fix you. It is God who will do work in you. But godly sorrow actually makes your heart to be fertile or your soil, the soil of your heart to be fertile so that God can work in your heart. Godly sorrow makes, you, makes your heart or prepares your heart to be ready to receive from God, prepares your heart for you to be ready to say yes to Jesus, for you to be ready to surrender to God, for you to be ready to surrender to God. Number five, godly sorrow centers on how your sin grieves God. But all this sorrow centers on how your sur- the surrendering of your sin grips you. Godly sorrow is going to look at God and see how the sin will grieve God. But worldly sorrow is going to come to you and say, if you give up your sin, what are you going to lose? If you surrender this, what really are you going to lose? What are you going to give up? And there are times that we hold on to sin because we are unwilling to let go of the benefits we get from it. Sometimes we hold on to sin because we are unwilling to endure the pain that comes with surrendering your sin to God. So you hold on. You are afraid to lose. But we know one thing about following Jesus is that following Jesus is about denial, self-denial. You know, Matthew 16, 24 Jesus Christ says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what Jesus says. And some of us are unwilling to deny ourselves. We want to follow Jesus at no cost. We want to follow God at no cost. But you have to be willing to deny yourself, to let go of your sin. And letting go of your sin is in the desire to lose so that you gain what's best for you. You embrace what's best for you. And sure enough, there will be some loss that you experience. But letting go, for example, letting go of uh, a corrupt habit 
might have you maybe have fewer business opportunities. But you would rather have fewer business opportunities than lose your soul. Letting go of that inappropriate relationship with that person. Maybe it can lead to you experiencing loneliness. Where you're like, man, I'm going to miss somebody validating me and saying how lovely I am. But you'd rather be in that place with Jesus than find what you think you're finding without him. Because that place is going to lead to regret. Number six, godly sorrow brings about your, uh, brings the best version of yourself. While worldly sorrow exposes the worst of you. Verse 11. Uh, verse 11 is amazing because Paul is excited. So 8, he was like, hey, I, was, I didn't know how this was going to go. I wasn't too sure, but I still did it anyway. And then verse 9, he's like, I'm happy because this godly sorrow leads you, led you to repentance. But here's the fruit of that godly sorrow. So he's so excited. So he's like, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? Can you see? I cannot believe this. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what alarm, what longing, what concern. Oh my goodness, your desire for justice now. Look at you guys. You are now changed. Paul is excited about this. He's like, man, you guys are so, you've become more caring now. Look at you guys. You've become more concerned about other people. You are now keen to do what is right. Look who you are becoming. And you can let go of your sin because who you're becoming is more important than your sinful habits. And when you let go of your sin, one thing that you realize is that what God desires for you is what you've been desiring all along for yourself. When you let go of your sin, you realize that truth like, oh, wait a minute. So God wanted this for me, and I actually wanted this for myself. I did. Because all of us want to be considered as people of integrity. We want to be considered as people who are humble, or who love well, who care for other people, or just people. And guess what? God desires the same things for you. He does. He desires these things for you. And when you let go of your sin, you become more what God desires for you, and you realize this is what I wanted anyway. So you become the best version of yourself. So there is a fruit, an amazing fruit, when you embrace repentance. And you say, man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Why should you surrender your sin to Jesus? Only one answer to that. Jesus is better than the reward of your sin. Jesus is better than the reward of your sin. In fact, if at all we have a motivation to leave our sinful tendencies, the motivation should be Jesus. Because Jesus is, we should value Jesus to be above all. To be above all else. Jesus needs to be the one that you value the most and consider everything else as vanity. You know what that means? That means that we embrace Jesus to be more than just a good teacher. You know, sometimes we feel like, hey, Jesus is just a good teacher. Or, or, or somebody who had good ideas. Like, oh, Christ has good ideas. Oh, he, was a, he, was, he needed something good for humanity. We need to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord. 
That means we're going to be willing to walk and to move into what he calls us to move. We're going to be willing to obey his commands. Because some of us love the vision of Jesus, but we are unwilling to really love the ways of Jesus. And if you're going to love the ways of Jesus, be willing to love the ways of Jesus. That you love what he says, but also you love his ways. You love him. You love his ways. I want to just mention verse 8. Verse 8, Paul says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. But now I'm happy, not because you made sorrow, sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. I want to just mention that the attitude that Paul has in bringing correction in people's lives uh, is one of humility and one that seeks God's grace to appear in people's lives. And sometimes we can be, we can be a people that get more excited about the idea of being known to be like a person of truth. So you share truth, but in a harsh way. You share what's, you know, what's, what you think is true, but in a way that's inconsiderate, not full of grace. Paul says, hey, I struggled with this. I did find this hard, actually, that I was going to come and tell you this. It was not easy. And the only thing that motivated me to do it is because I saw, yes, you will experience sorrow. It's going to be for a little while because that will lead you to God. That's why I did this. It wasn't to glorify himself. And we need to be very, very careful. Sometimes we could do that. How do you, what practical steps can you take to deal with your sin? Depend on God's grace. That's the first point. Depend on God's grace. Now, God's grace shows up in all kinds of forms. Sometimes God will break your heart in private where he exposes your sin and, um, and your heart is broken and you're like, no, I cannot live like this. God, forgive me, and you embrace his grace. Sometimes um, God's grace shows up in pain because here's the truth, and I know about this about myself, is that we know that we need to change. That's one thing. But it's another thing to actually stay, take a step to change, to actually do the changing. That's another thing. We know what's good for us, but often we don't really do what's good for us. Yeah? Am I speaking to some people here? And you know what? Sometimes God brings pain, pain in your life as a way of like beckoning you to be like, hey, look at me and I wanted to make a change here. And pain will give you no choice but to actually make the change that you need to make. And th however that pain looks like will be different for every single one of us. For some of us, could be getting exposed. Like this thing going public, your sinful behavior going public. That's a pain you endure, but don't see it as God condemning you. See, see it as grace. God is so gracious that you never want me to lead, to continue living my sin. Uh, and therefore, he's... In, getting my attention so that I can turn to him. Number two, depend on community. Uh, you know, the community of believers. I want to just break it to you. You're not as strong as you think you are, in case you didn't know, but that's the truth. You need other people that can walk alongside you, the community that can come alongside you. Number three, decide to change. Make a decision to change. Now, that can, can sound legalistic and be like, what? You're only just talking about you, you, what's going on? Uh, but actually, when it comes to 
a life that's changed, you need to see how God works. First of all, we have probably maybe four kinds of uh, views that we've got when it comes to God working. Sometimes we think about it all depends on me. You know, I'm the only one responsible for my own change. It only depends on me. God has no say in it. The other way of looking at it is saying it only depends on God alone. Like God alone does the changing and I have no part to play in it. The third way is saying God is involved but he does 50% and I do 50. You know, so like we do 50-50 together we make it 100. Uh, some sort of partnership. But actually, the, the scriptures talks about um, this idea. Paul was talking about this idea of Christ in me, like God in you, like Christ in you. And what that means is that God works in you 100%, but at the same time, he invites you to do what you need to do 100%. That's what it is. So God will probably invite you to see the ugliness of your sin. But he's not going to repent on your behalf. That's your way. That's on you. you got to repent. you got to do the act. So decide. Make a decision to change. And lastly, embrace your identity in Christ. Embrace your identity in Christ. How you view yourself, it's going to help you either to experience godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. But I propose to make to you, don't hang your identity on your worst choices. Don't hang your identity on your worst mistakes. Don't hang your identity on your worst regrets. Because you are not your mess. You are not your mistakes. You are not your regrets. You are not your mess. You are a child of God. And God invites you into his presence. And he says, I love you. I am for you. Come to me, O child. And I hope today you can come to God. As we finish our time together, I want you to do an activity today. And, and I hope you can take this seriously. Probably you may have received uh, slips of paper, two slips of paper. I want to end our time together by us making a commitment to God. The first slip of paper, I want you to write a sin that you want to surrender to God today. Write it down. You have to see it. And consider and see how that breaks God's heart. And we're going to have our spirit team just standing on the front here. They'll have baskets. And I want you to stand on your chair. And you go to that basket. And you just tear that, uh, that paper. And just throw it in there. As a way of symbolically surrendering to God. I want you to do that first thing. The second thing I wanted to do is. What, what is it that you're going to do to start living in that direction of what God desires for you in that area? So you have said, I'm gonna, I want to give up my, uh, uh, the scene of pornography. I want to give it up. The second paper, I want you to write the do's. You know, sometimes we can focus on the don'ts, but write the do's. You know, what direction are you going to take now towards where God desires you to be? What are you going to do? What new system are you going to create around you? Because living your sin is deciding to stop and to destroy the old system. So what new system are you going to create around you so that you can begin to experience change in your life? Can we do that? And that second piece of paper, you're going to keep it with you and take it home. And I hope this week you can take a moment, one of these days, to just be like, hey, let me think more about it. And I hope, I hope you can truly make a decision today 
to say, I'm leaving this completely. I'm leaving this at the feet of Jesus. And I want to move towards where God wants me to be. I want to be there. I want to live my calling in this area of my life. Because I'm telling you, on that road, there is joy. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you. God, I pray as we surrender our sins to you today, I ask, Father, that first of all, we're going to see how our sin breaks God's heart. Yet at the same time, we're going to see that you are for us. And God, that we can come to you. We can come to you, Jesus, today. Because we know that you're holding that which is best for us. So help us to surrender to you this morning. Because you are a good God. We thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So take some time to write. And after you're done writing, just stand and, and go. You tear it apart, throw it in that bin. And then you can come back and just stand as we worship together. Um, when you come back from that process.